Hi, I'm Michael Hartman. I'm Naomi Liu. And I'm Mike Rizzo. And this is OpsCast. A podcast for marketing ops pros. And RevOps pros. Created by the MoPros, the number one community for marketing operations professionals. Tune in to each episode as we chat with real professionals to help elevate you in your marketing operations career. Welcome to another episode of OpsCast brought to you by MarketingOps.com. New home for the, for the for the MoPros. I'm your host, Michael Hartman, joined today by Mike Rizzo. Our co-host, Naomi Lou, is unavailable today. So it's just the two of us, so you're going to have to suffer through that. Uh, Mike, what year is this? It is the year of the MoPro, and it's officially Woo-hoo. a thing now. MarketingOps.com launches. We got the MoPros community. This is great. I'm excited. Yeah, and so we're recording this on... Um, it's almost the end of June, which means that summer camp is less than two weeks away. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. All right. So summer camp in Seattle. Can't wait. Awesome stuff. It's going right. to be fun. Let's get into this. So today we're going to be talking about um, kind of some of the impacts that have happened through the pandemic and after the pandemic in terms of not just business in general, but for marketing ops pros, and probably we might touch on rev ops as well a little bit. And to help us talk through that today, we have our guest, RJ Andaya, uh, who is currently director of marketing operations at observe.ai. Prior to that, RJ worked in multiple roles in marketing ops, marketing strategy, demand gen, general marketing. He's kind of done a little bit of everything in those areas. RJ, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Michael. Great. Here. I'm excited. So um, I I just joined GoPros a couple of months ago. Uh, a lot of great knowledge from that slide already getting from it. So um, super excited to be a guest here. It's That's fabulous. awesome, man. Yeah, fantastic. Glad you're a guest, and thanks for the feedback. And you know, as always, keep it coming. We appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, and as we learn, as I learned, I still need to do it. Is like last week, we, we I need to go set up a profile, and you do too, on marketingops.com with the new capabilities there. So huge, huge opportunities down the road there. So what, when we when we do this, I know we want to talk about um, kind of your observations and our like all of us on kind of the impacts of the the, the pandemic, but. Um, why don't we start a little bit first, you know, we talked about your background a little bit and that you've covered a lot of ground in your, in your, your journey. So, but curious how you, can you share with the community, our listeners, what, uh, how you led to your, how your, your career ended up in marketing ops? Yeah, of course. Uh, I think like, like everyone's like how everyone got their, you know, got to the stage of uh, their career where they're at today. Um, so, like myself, um, I really wasn't looking to get into. I don't even know what marketing ops was before. I was an accounting major. Um, I found that to be boring, not well for me. Um, so I switched. Yeah, that's okay. It's boring for a lot of people. <laughs> but hey, <laughs> to your point, some people really enjoy it. <laughs> uh, but I do like numbers, though. So, um, I, and uh, I, I was pretty technical as a kid. Like I built computers. I was a gamer. Like I, I, you know, I was. I was a I was pretty nerdy and geeky, so I switched to MIS. Um, has a good blend of like business and IT in it, um, and I took marketing for GE. Um, I actually found that to be very boring too, <laughs> so I was not expecting myself to be in the marketing field at all after college. Um, but you know what? When I graduated, I um, 
I needed experience, right? Everybody needed that. So I took the first internship I could get. Um, and the first one that I got an offer for was a marketing internship. Uh, so I took it, you know, uh, I was pretty open-minded. I'm like, I, it's, I'm like, I, I thought to myself, it's probably a lot different than what it was in a classroom. So I'm like, you know, let's go. Um, and I'm getting paid for it. So that's a, that's a huge plus. Um, so I landed that role and really that was more of like a Swiss army knife type of role. Um, it, uh, it was a lot of things from like graphic design, uh, you know, digital marketing, um, managing a little bit of budget for digital, um, managing the tech stack, reporting. It's it's pretty much like everything under the marketing umbrella um, as a general generalist type of role. Um, and it's a small company. We have, we have like 50 people. We have just one product marketing leader, a field marketer, a web designer, and there's, and there's me. So I, I got to do a lot as an intern. Um, uh, anything under the marketing uh, marketing sun, really. Um, and, you know, I found out that all the stuff that I was really good at um, and made me really shine in that, um, in that internship. I got employer of the month in my second month as an intern. Um, uh, and the things that really... Hey, made that's me awesome. Shine, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, I'm like, I don't know how I got this. It's my second month. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that really made me shine was... Uh, uh, are things under the marketing operations umbrella, right? Because uh, some of the first things I did there were uh, a lot of analysis and setting up their um, their CRM and integrating it with um, with their marketing automation. At that time, it was Acton. Um, again, I was the only marketer just kind of like doing that for them because somebody was doing that. Um, so I found out that the skills I was good at um, really are in that marketing ops umbrella. And I didn't even know it was a real function until I decided it was time to move on to uh, a company with more growth potential. Um, and when I was looking for jobs and you know, I was ty- typing my skills on LinkedIn, on Indeed, everywhere, um, all the roles that were showing up were marketing ops. And I was like, oh, this is a- so marketing ops is a thing. Um, so I applied for that next job. It was a marketing ops specialist role. And uh, it- you know, that's kind of like my path that led me here. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I was when you were describing that internship, I was thinking about my uh, the co op job I had while I was still in college at at the time it was IBM, and yeah, I think there's something about that stage where you're like you don't know any better. Like you, so you just like you like to just if you like to tinker, right, and that kind of stuff, right? It's really easy to to find a, opportunities to do that. So. Um, yeah, so fun stuff. All right. So let's, you know, we were going to talk about impacts of the pandemic. I thought maybe what we could start with is not necessarily like we, I think we could dive into some details, you know, along the way here, we've got a while, but yeah, maybe like top level, like what are you seeing as, as like major impact from the pandemic? And I, and I I suspect there's going to be some that were generally positive and some that are generally negative. And I don't know kind of what your thoughts are at all. I'm sure I'll have opinions though, because I'm not short on that. Yeah, I think um, so. I mean, if I have to summarize it um, to like four different things, um, there was definitely a need for uh, a quick turnaround on digital transformation, right? That was the number, I'm pretty sure that's the number one thing that everyone in marketing ops saw during the pandemic. Um, You know, gone were the days when you just walk up to someone for a request, right? 
um, or explain what the data means. Like all of that has to be done digitally now. How do you do that? How do you transfer information cross-functionally um, in, a, in a streamlined way, right? How do you, uh, how do you uh, generate insights and make sure those get to the right people um, uh, quick enough? Um, you know, there's a lot of that that really happened. Um, at first, it was kind of like, uh, you know, a lot of that's needed before the pandemic, um, but it happened at a lot slower pace. Um, and when the pandemic happened, it's like, we need this yesterday. Uh, so that was probably the, one of the biggest things that I've seen. Um, the other one's probably, um, uh, there's a lot, I mean, of course, the biggest impact also, also in, is kind of like how we market, um, you know, without events, without seeing people in person, <laughs> what do you do, right? Um, so there's a big mm-hmm. shift on going digital. Um, and I saw a huge increase in, uh, kind of like our, you know, our tech budget for advertising. And also I can do that better. Um, you know, can we add EBM to our portfolio, right? Um, and, you know, a, an increase of uh, budget and tech additions as well to help people be more productive um, and also enable better reporting and automation. Um, the last thing is, you know, account- accountability was huge before, but I feel like it became even bigger um, during, during, during the pandemic and even up to now. Um, like from a high level, there was a, a lot more focus on budget management and ROI. Um, especially there was a you know there was a recession, uh, a short recession that happened um, during COVID. Um, so there's a lot more eyes on that, and on a macro level, there's a bigger need for uh, you know, cross-functional alignment. Um, and again, a streamlined way to really just transfer information in, in a distributed environment, um, and being able to make quick shifts in strategy. Um, in, in you know in, in a new in a new kind of a, you know, in a new kind of business world, right? Yeah, so um, I'm glad you kind of broke that last bit down. I was trying to, I, I was going to ask some questions about that, what you meant by that. But um, so one, so let's go a little level, another level deeper here. Nick. So one of the things you talked about just then. Or I, I think you kind of alluded to it is that um, you know prioritization mm-hmm. is becoming more important, right? Um, through through this uh, for for MOP. So when you say that, like, are you talking about what projects do we do? Is it prioritization of you know campaign activities and support? Is it is it a little bit of both? Like, how are you like when you say that? What are you thinking about? Yeah, I think what really changed with us here at Observe, uh, here at my current role, is uh, you know focus on um, uh, focus and prioritization on um, one key segments that we target. Right, where do we want to spend our time on, um, both on sales and on the marketing side, um, our time and money. So there's there's constant iteration of our ICP and more regular reporting of it, uh, and our core focus of our personas that we want to that we that we sell to, right, and spend our time on. Um, so that was, uh, that was huge. I started doing that every quarter. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe, maybe like the first quarter, you don't see a lot of shifts, right. But three quarters down the line or four quarters down the line, as you release more features, more enterprise level, um, capabilities, 
uh, start seeing more of those. You start seeing a gradual um, shift in in your audience and who you're targeting. So there's a lot of like um, constant iteration of that to make sure we stay focused and we, we we keep evolving our sales and marketing motions to to where our market's going. Hey everyone, it's Mike Rizzo here, and I'm interrupting your episode to bring you a brief message about, you might have guessed it, Mopsapalooza 2024, our second annual conference held in the vibrant city of Anaheim, California. We're hosting this hybrid event from the 5th of November through the 8th, and we would love for you to join us in person in Anaheim, but if you can't, please join us via live stream, courtesy of our sponsor, Excelibets. We're excited to offer an opportunity for professionals just like you to connect, learn, and grow among the best in the industry. Our event promises to be a highlight of the year, offering invaluable professional development experiences, live workshops, and of course, networking with your peers. Don't miss out on this incredible gathering right next to Disneyland in Southern California. Tickets are going fast. We will cap registration at 700 attendees. Secure your pass by visiting marketingops.com today. And we're looking forward to welcoming you to what is guaranteed to be an unforgettable event. It might just be the best event you've ever attended. But don't take my word for it. You can ask the community at any time. We'll see you there. That's, um, so Observes, you guys have been around for, the, the organization itself has been around for a little while. I was just trying to do some quick Googling. It looks like funding-wise, it's been established for, for quite a bit, there's been. Uh, I think it looks like an acquisition. How big is your How big is your team uh, that you have that you're sort of working amongst uh, across marketing? You know, and then I guess specifically, are there more than just one of you on the marketing ops team? Uh, so, so the marketing te- the marketing team is uh, about like 15 people right now. Okay. Um, we have a couple of roles open, so if anyone's uh, you know if anyone's looking for a new role or a new job and you know, you've been uh, affected by the layoffs. Um, come to our website. We have a lot of roles open everywhere. Um, I love that. Yes. <laughs> plug it, plug it, plug it. <laughs> are, are they listed on marketingops.com, though? That's what I want to know. <laughs> they should be. Uh, I'll list them up. Don't worry. Uh, we have the <laughs> end roles open. I might open up a role soon, hopefully, to kind of help me out because I'm only a one-man team right now. Um, but we have 15 people in marketing. We have three um, designers that we work with, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis in India. Um, and across the board, we okay. have uh, 250 plus employees uh, across. The okay. Board. Yeah. Um, so sizable organization you have to support. Yeah, and we're distributed um, workforce. Um, we're primarily remote at the moment. Okay. Cool. And then um, when you're talking about sort of these, you know the way you're prioritizing projects and you're, you're shifting ICP ideal customer profile for, for anybody that didn't know that acronym. Um, you know, is that coming top down, uh, so far as you can tell, like, is it, is it almost like OKRs that are set at the top level of the organization and then trickled down to, to your team and, and then you're making decisions on how do the go to market motion might change. And then, sorry for adding sort of a layered question here. Uh, but, as it's being, you know, uh, consumed, and you're deciding on what that prioritization is, uh, for how long are you focused on that? Just, you know, is it a month? Or is it a quarter? How long do you guys usually go? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, so I was the first marketing ops hire, hire in here, and 
uh, I started this ICP exercise last year. Um, there wasn't really an ask for it, but I, I did notice that we need some focus on where we're, where we're putting our efforts. Um, so I ran the first exercise around last summer, and I started doing okay. it early after that. Um, now it became a real thing that we do, um, and I'm currently trying to do this on the renewal side. Uh, you know, the acquisition is one thing, right? It's like, what's your ideal customer profile from an acquisition standpoint? But we need to look at who's actually renewing with us and who is, um, what companies are we expanding our footprint in? Um, so just, that's the current exercise that I'm trying to evolve this ICP exercise into. Um, and what was the next question? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, it was layered and I apologize. So to, to, to reiterate, uh, so it sounds like you you initiated the ICP discovery, which is great, uh, and so sort of focus, uh, which for all of our listeners out there, like just goes to show you, you know, someone in a marketing ops role can really establish a norm that has as um, incredible value to the organization. And if if you're not organized in that way, hopefully you find a different way to do it. So ICP is one of them. Uh, and then this, the second part, uh, RJ, that I was asking is how long are you focused on the ICP uh, before you sort of do any type of reallocation of funding and, and maybe target messaging and all that stuff? Yeah, um, so so it depends. It depends on when we see a shift in um, you know in in that core ICP, right? So that's why we do it every quarter. Um, we didn't really see a big shift until um, until recently, to be honest. I've been running this for a year, um, but you know for the, for the past year we haven't really released that many features. Um, but this year we have. We released a couple of enterprise features, um, and you know everyone's you know if you're if you're a fast-growing company, your you know your goal is to try to move up market, right? So we're trying to see if we can find trends that uh, prove that we are moving there. Um, and there's some evidence that we are. Um, we might not be quite at the enterprise level yet, but we are moving at the at the higher end of the mid-market as we define it here. Um, so that's when we started shifting our strategy from like the smaller end of the mid-market to the higher end of the mid-market as it is today um, that we're focusing on, right? We're not, we might not be focusing more on the, on the billion dollar companies just yet. Um, but, you know, we, we've seen an evolution that we are moving up market from the smaller SMBs uh, to the higher end of that mid-market. Um, so now we're, now we're spending more money on that, more time. Um, we've also defined the key industries where we've been the most. And, um, mm-hmm. With deals that move the, with deals that, that that move fastest for us, with the highest velocity, um, and we're focusing on those uh, five key industries uh, as part of that IC, ICP today. We want you don't to have to root to mid market, right? And then to the higher end of mid market. So that's kind of like how it's evolved. That's that's awesome. Uh, you don't have to reveal any secrets of who your uh, target target audience is by any stretch, but I am curious and I, and I know a consistent theme in the community is, is the, how's the cookie made? (laughs) Uh, And so if you could unpack a little bit about maybe, you know, the tooling that you have in place to be able to understand the deal velocity and how you came about figuring out which, which industries are good or potentially better. um, Maybe just share a little bit about like the, the tech stack and the process and programs you do to analyze that information and, and, and the people you work with, you know, if it's not just tech, but also people, 
that's really helpful for folks to try to figure out like how they shape their career and then maybe how to go answer some of those really challenging questions inside their work too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I work super, super closely with uh, our sales ops, uh, sales ops leader. Um, and we, we, we pretty much built this tech stack together um, in close alignment. Um, we have Salesforce. We have HubSpot right now um, as our marketing automation tool. Um, and to, to run this ICP, we also uh, acquired um, Zoom Info, right? That will kind of help us measure our TAM um, to help us look at, look at how many companies are in our space, um, that are in our target markets. Um, and then analyze kind of like our deal size, our deal velocity, and all that. Um, so with analyzing this ICP, there's a lot of data work that has to be involved, right? Because this involves personas, this involves um, um, revenue sizes, this involves um, industries. So this involves like data from all different objects in Salesforce. And there's a lot of work to do there. Um, and in order to report on this, you have to standardize your data and clean it, right? You can't have like a hundred different a hundred different iterations of retail. <laughs> um, it's impossible to be able to report on it that way. So we had to create a higher level that you know categorizes these um, these industries into a higher level of industry that we can report on um, to maybe like you know like twenty five to thirty different values. Um, and a lot of those live in uh, those those rules live in Zoom info, actually. You know, as you in, as you uh, enrich your leads, your accounts, um, you can have um, automated settings in Zoom info. Like if they belong in this industry, make this a value, right? So uh, it's pretty easy to to do there. Um, as the cleaning up the data goes. Um, and then from there, it's really just like reporting in Salesforce on the opportunity data, right? Like how fast does the lead move to conversion? Um, and from conversion, how fast does that lead move or that, that opportunity go to, uh, to stage two, stage three, um, all the way to um, close loss or close one, right? How fast do those deals move? Um, and... We created the dashboard for this to kind of show this to the whole org too. Um, it shows like lead to uh, lead to MQL conversion, um, lead to SAL. SAL is pretty much a meeting for us. Uh, SQL conversion, all the way down to opportunity conversion, right? Um, so, so now we can kind of see like that high level conversion for everything, and then we just break it down by like different industries and different types of personas that are converting um, in a standardized way. Uh, for personas, we have to standardize um, uh, the different departments and functions that we target, um, and also the different title levels, like manager level, director level, C-level, um, and who's really converting and what the roles are in the opportunity. Like who's the economic, who's the economic buyer? Um, who is the decision maker um, in the opportunity as defined by sales? Um, we also created a... Um, a custom object in Salesforce called um, Gaps. So um, these are pretty much, pretty much um, product gaps that uh, our customers and prospects report uh, to be blockers for um, uh, blockers for the product. Right. Ooh, I like that idea. That is that is awesome. That's really interesting. And, and, and because of this, um, I was able to actually like use this data to influence some road mapping decisions. 
um, because if you overlay if you overlay this data to the current opportunity data that we have um, and see the gaps in it and break it down by mid-market and SMBs and enterprise, um, each segment has different gaps, right? Um, so you can see like all the gaps reported in the enterprise. So if you want to move to enterprise segment, if you want to move up market, um, these are the gaps most reported. So these are probably like the gaps that we need to cover in our product to be able to move up there. Um, so we built we built a pretty a pretty good tech stack here that identifies a lot of that. So I'm pretty proud of what we've done in the year. Yeah, so this is I mean that that last bit about like taking that gap data and feeding it back to product is I think that's phenomenal. So I think right there there's like the gem for all of our listeners to take back if they're in that kind of company. Um, so one of the things that's coming through there, right, the tech stack, when you talked about this tech stack, every just about everything you talked about had to do with you know, data, whether it's enrichment, quality, completeness, or reporting and analytics. You didn't really talk about, like, how are we using this to go to market, right? What are go-to-market motions? and how? So yeah, I know you and I talked about this a little bit uh, when we were kind of prepping for this, that you talked about, like, there's this, you're seeing a shift of, more need to focus on data in general I'll generalize it that versus like I think we, we said sort of campaign support or campaign operations if we want to use the four pillars kind of model but you know is is this exactly what you're talking about like are you are you spending more time doing analysis and deep understanding although quickly because it, like you talked about speed is an important thing that's come out of the pandemic but then are you then able to then do maybe fewer things or maybe more targeted things? Like how, how has it affected the, that side of the business? And is that uh, second part of that is how much of that is you supporting that and doing the heavy lifting of whether it's building out emails or campaigns or whatever, or you, do you partner with other parts of the marketing team to do that? Uh, definitely partnering with uh, other parts of the marketing team. A lot of this is enablement. Uh, for me, able for me to be able to spend time on on these strategic initiatives, like I, you know, you can't be doing everything, right? Like it's impossible, <laughs> especially if there's only one of you. Um, so a lot of the comes to this to make sure that the team is trained um, to use the tools that you have, um, that they understand um, uh, what's going into the data that we're presenting um, and what they mean. And also make sure making sure that there's some sort of like approval processes in place um, to make sure no one's like going off the rails and you know sending emails without approvals. Um, sometimes can I can I ask you can I can I ask a question about that because this is something that I've struggled with um, how rigid to make those kinds of approval processes um, at diff in different kinds of organizations. So. Are you, you know, do you have a very, like a really rigid one that says you can't deploy something until it's approved by a certain person or two? Or do you say you can't deploy until you either get approval or an SLA has expired and you can, you basically like whoever was supposed to approve it didn't do it in time. So you're going to go, go forward. Like, how are you handling that? Or are you doing like, is it very specific about what they look for? Or are they looking like, is it more, I'll call it principle based, right? Um, I go into a whole other analogy about soccer versus football, but I won't. Um, but I'm um, just curious about that because I think that's – I know from my standpoint, that's a struggle I've had is like to what degree do you sort of force a approval process? Because I've always 
what I keep finding on that is that slow, again, going to the speed thing, right? The more of that you have, the slower you are able to move. And that's like, that would be my fear. Yeah. We're trying to find a good balance of it. So it's a, it's not a, it's not a rigid process at all. Really. It's just about permissions that people have in, uh, in, in our marketing automation platform. Like people have, um, you know, edit rights to emails to be able to create those. Right. Um, but people don't have send rights. So in, you know, before sending those emails, they have to, you know, log it to me on monday.com, which is what we use right now for a project management tool, uh, for me to check the email uh, to make sure that the list is right, the links work, um, tests have been sent. Um, and then from there, you know, I can say, yep, um, you know, I'll go ahead and press send tomorrow morning or I'll schedule it at 8 o'clock. Um, so, so people don't have those rights to, you know, really mess anything up <laughs> um, that you can't fix. Um, so we try to create a process process that's making it, you know, that, that makes it easy for everyone to do their jobs, go faster, but at the same time, um, uh, mitigating, mitigating some of the risks that might come from giving somebody too much permission, right. Or too much control into something. Sure. All right. So I have, I have a follow-up question. This is maybe HubSpot specific. So I'm gonna have to lean on you, both of you two, cause I don't have the HubSpot experience. Mike knows this. Um, so uh, my, one of the things, again, going to like review and approval, right? I, what I've been trying to push people to in my last few stops is that, you know, we need to sort of prioritize the level of scrutiny we put things through before we go live with them, if you will. Um, and part of that thought process is, you know, what can be changed after we quote go live, right? And, you know, the only one that really you can't get back is email. Right. But everything else, like if it's a web page update or a display ad or search you know, ads, things like that, I think you've got more opportunities to do that. Um, so are you are you managing that? Do you have that same kind of process that you enable through HubSpot and roles and you know, kind of stuff for different kinds of tactics? I don't even know if it's possible. So if I'm way off here on HubSpot, let me know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, you, you touched up on it, right? So um, the the things that you can't get back, like emails, <laughs> definitely, definitely uh, be a little bit more strict on that. Um, but for web pages, we do keep those open. Uh, we have a pretty uh, uh, a pretty big, not a pretty big, not really that big of a team, but we have a pretty solid team of uh, of web designers um, that know their way around HubSpot. You know, obviously, like super knowledgeable about. Um, formatting web pages on landing pages. So they, they get permissions to, they have permissions to edit those web pages as long as they, you know, um, for as much as they can. Um, and they also have uh, published rights for those pages as well. Um, but we do have some steps in place to make sure like, you know, there's QA in place, right? Like, um, let's say we're doing a launch, for example. Um, and we're creating a bunch of landing pages for it. Um, you know, this has to go through um, QA from you know from the content owner, who gets the final say on whether the, fi- the content is final enough to be published um, or not. Right. Um, so at the end of the day, um, we have people calling shots on um, whether it's finalized um, or not for them to be able to publish it. But we, we, you know, as far as like 
engaging who can who can you know click publish and not click on publish um, wouldn't go that far. Got it. Mike, curious. So, what did, what has your experience been with that? Like, I guess mainly with HubSpot, but in general as well. Yeah. The um, so HubSpot, depending on what part of HubSpot you're talking about, the permissioning is pretty robust. Like from a user provisioning permissioning perspective, you can get pretty granular on read, write, and uh, different objects that they have access to. Um, being able to create but not publish pages is certainly a thing. Um, you know, as it relates to some of my brief time in the Marketo instance, like the whole, you know, approve a draft type of functionality, I know is limited probably to certain roles or functions um, and permissions for Marketo users. Um, that concept doesn't really exist. Like there isn't a sense of approve and publish um, kind of step in the process. Uh, unless you're sort of looking at like the HubSpot CMS where they actually have a staging environment where you can go from staging to production and kind of go through that flow. But on the landing page side, it doesn't really follow the same, the same mechanics. Um, and certainly not on things like a workflow, which in Marketo, you know, your entire program is pretty much a workflow. So um, there's also sort of that missing element of, uh, rigor around, you know, who should have the right to approve this thing and, and set it out the door. You can, however, at least limit who can hit publish uh, and then sort of build in those manual processes. It sounds like RJ did uh, on the HubSpot side. So there's there's definitely some limitations, but also um, enough there that you can have control, I think. All right. Sorry for grilling everybody. I was just like that. that that's like that's an area where I think we all um, every every place I've ever been has struggled with. Yeah, how much review? There's yeah. always a balance of like how much do you want to, how strict do you want to be with these rules versus how fast do you want to you want the team to move right. And when when you're in a startup where you have everything's kind of like a fire drill, <laughs> um, you. you you have to keep it open with some sort of controls. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, oftentimes in the startup environment, um, just speaking from my own experience, <laughs> uh, there were so many occasions in which an email would hit my desk ready for, you know, quote unquote, ready for deployment. And I read through the copy and the content. And I was like, I don't, I don't think this is what you want to put out into the world. Like, I don't think anybody actually read this thing. Uh, not at least for the audience you told me I'm supposed to send it to. And so those provisionary steps that need to be there uh, are really difficult to manage, right? So it's it's, yeah. it's even before it gets built and deployed, like, is this the right message? And that fundamentally is one of the things that like I struggled with in marketing operations was like removing myself from being this like, I don't know, copyright reviewer or what what have you, right? Like I shouldn't be implementing, you know, the the content and reading it and going, oh God, <laughs> like what's wrong with this? Right. Uh, it, it's just not your role, right? It shouldn't be your role. It to that end, if you see something, say something, folks. Like if you if you think that maybe there's a problem, at least voice it. Yeah. 
But I, I was I was just gonna say right, <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be a role, but also you shouldn't totally abdicate. Yes, don't some amount of responsibility. Yeah, do take responsibility for it, but it is such a it's such a struggle, which is you know reinforcing the importance of some of the work we're doing in the community and the reason why we do these interviews with folks like you, RJ, is to try to understand what is the function of your role and what should you be working on and you know, reviewing content and copy and the messaging strategy for an audience is certainly not one of them. But if you see something, say something. (laughs) Yeah, I think, but you just brought up two different things, right? Like reviewing copy, if you're in the middle of building something, it's like it, it, unless you're so, like, unless you've got so much volume of stuff going through that you just literally can't spend the time to scan through an email content, um, or then, yeah, I mean, I like, it shouldn't be a top priority messaging strategy that's a whole nother thing to me right i think that to me that's a like clearly shouldn't fall into marketing ops in sort of what i think of its core function now it's marketing I, ops yeah it's a demand gen right I mean, it's a totally ball game. totally but i will also make the argument that if it's at the stage of build right like it is ready for build that means it's ready for build right it is not totally there shouldn't be copy review happening anymore like we've hopefully gone through enough cycles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's one thing I also struggle with all the time, right? Whenever we launch a campaign, it's like, we shouldn't be changing content the day before we go live with something. Um, so, uh, But it sounds like we all face the same problem. <laughs> so we're all in the same boat, folks. <laughs> well, yeah, like, so this is, like, this is, again, another sort of, like, this hits me hard because I think every, several places I've been is, you think you know who's got the final approval until you know it's about to deploy, and then someone with a certain title thinks mm-hmm. that they have to review it and that their input is absolutely required. Um, and it can it can even be good input, right? Sure. But it's it's at the wrong point. Um, the other like I always be like we needed clear clarity on whose approval. Ideally, it's a single person and mm-hmm. everybody else gets input, but it's input, not veto power. And I see too many places where input is considered absolute regardless of where it comes from. And, and that somebody, anybody, virtually anybody can say, no, like we're just not going to. And those things do two things. One, they get you into sort of the cycle of slowing things down, especially, and it's usually towards the end, right? When that comes up. And then they also, what what I found is it's it's like um, I used this term earlier this week with somebody it's like it, be, it becomes you know the Frankenstein bit of content right so someone's like they, like they're not thinking looking at it necessarily all the way through they're like oh I need to I need to fix this little like portion of one sentence in the copy but then it makes the whole flow of it change right they don't actually like like they don't sit stop and go I'm gonna read through this out loud like I'm gonna say it out loud like. How how will this sound to somebody who's reading it? If they were actually like, if I was to re- say this out loud to them, would it actually make sense? And I think there's a lot of places where I've seen that things fall apart in that mm-hmm. kind of scenario. Yep, yep, me too. It's Did I say I have a little PTSD from this kind of stuff? <laughs> we all we all do. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll tell you an example. Like we, you know, there, there was one time when we were doing a launch. Um, just as an example from my from my career, not you know, not this job specifically or my last one. Um, we're doing a launch, and um, you know, like you said, a certain uh, person with a certain title comes in um, on the on the day before the launch, 
and decides to change up every the entire copy of the database email announcement that we were about to send. And I'm like, this is not supposed to happen. Um, and this is where a marketing ops really comes in, right? To really try to enforce the process and um, make sure that everybody, uh, you know, abides by it. Um, we're, we're trying to move fast. We're trying to be streamlined. We're trying to avoid mistakes. Um, this is exactly how you make mistakes. <laughs> Um, if you keep making last minute changes like this, um, so yeah, yeah audience can't see me like vigorously. <laughs> yeah, my it's like oh yes, 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 yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm so I, I could probably go on about this and rant about it for a while, but um, I think it's probably best we move on. Well, RJ, this has been a great conversation. I think our audience will have gotten a lot out of it as well. Um, just some of the key things that you talked about and what you've done and. I think uh, a good inspiration for especially what you've done is sort of starting from marketing ops, doing things like ICP definition and all that. So I think that's great. So thank you for that. Great to have you. If, if, if folks want to kind of keep up with what you're doing or uh, want to be in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, LinkedIn is going to be the best way for me. Send me, send me a, send me a request. Uh, I'll make sure we connect um, or Slack me in the uh, marketing ops Slack channel. Awesome. Fantastic. RJ, yeah. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. And um, I think, you know, giving people a lens of how to think about marketing ops as you enter an organization uh, has been really helpful. So appreciate your insights. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. It was fun. Absolutely. Well, as always, thank you to those of you who are listening and have been supporting our uh, little project here. It's been a lot of fun. It always continues to be. We are excited about the additional lineup of guests we have planned uh, over the next several weeks. So watch for that. Uh, I mentioned summer camp at the beginning. So if you haven't, you, know, you still think you can fit in summer camp in Seattle, July 11th, Mike, right? July 11th through 13th. July 11th through 13th, 2022. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm, I'm going to say this and I don't know if that's true, but if uh, I'm Guessing there might still be a few slots open, but I have we'll like maybe one or two slots open. All right. So if you're you're hankering for an in-person experience with the marketing ops professionals, uh, you're probably going to want to reach out to me ASAP because I got about All one right. room left. I think. There you go. All right. So hopefully by the time this gets published, that will still be true. If not, sorry, <laughs> you're out of luck. Um, Anyway, so with that, thank you, everyone. Continue to send us your feedback, suggestions, uh, and support. If you want to be a guest or you know somebody who would be a good guest, let reach out to Mike or Naomi or me. And with that, we're a wrap. See you next time. Bye.